where's the workforce today? What do we need them to do tomorrow? And then that information will determine whether it's an upskilling path or a reskilling path, but you've got to be able to do the hard work of figuring out, you know, sort of the current state in order to get to the, to the best practices for, for a given role. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important crucial conversations confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. Googleization Nation, ignorance is not bliss when it comes to knowing your workforce's skills. When I first entered the business about 27 years ago, job analysis was all the rage. Businesses spent millions of dollars each year identifying core competencies, rewriting job descriptions, creating performance reviews, and guess what? After almost 30 years, most companies still have no clue what job skills and competencies make the most successful employees successful. Worse than that, they don't know the skills and competencies their current employees have. And in a never normal world with, with labor shortages and more job openings than people, even as the economy is moving toward or is in a recession, uh, it, it, it's just mind boggling. I can't even say that, mind boggling. It's also mind numbing apparently, um, that we have so many job openings uh, that more than 50% of new hires don't work out in the first 90 days. That top talent is still quitting at record rates. Well, we've got Mike Kritzman here today, CEO of SkillNet. And Mike believes he's cracked the code to help companies inventory their skills, then meet opportunities faster through personalized upskilling and reskilling programs. We're going to bring life to upskilling and reskilling because, again, everybody talks about it, um, but it's sort of this abstract thing that people are going to do and they're trying to figure it out. Well, Mike's got some solutions. And with labor market shortages expected to last through most of 2030s, recruiting employees with the skills you need and reskilling the ones you have is no longer an option. So we're really excited to have Mike join us in just a few minutes. But before we get there, Jason, it's time for what is becoming a, a popular perfect labor storm, a perfect labor storm segment. So on each GGG episode, we turn our focus to just one disruptive, surprising or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. So here's our perfect labor storm trend for today. 50% of all employees in the world need to upskill or reskill by 2025, according to the World Economic Forum. This is partly due to automation, new technologies, changing jobs, and certainly living in the never normal. But it's actually a little worse than that. 
According to Ed Gordon, who I co-host a monthly segment with him, uh, the Gordon Report, he's been studying labor markets for 50 years. And he estimates that by 2030, 75% of all jobs, 128 million of them will require advanced to moderately advanced skills, what some people call the, those, cold call, those gold collar jobs. But at the current rate of education and training, there will only be six, 56 million workers that have those skills. He's not predicting a labor shortage, but a skills shortage. 33% of workers have no or, or no or few digital skills, according to research from the National Skills Coalition. And it's actually worse for manufacturing and healthcare. Uh, that number is almost 38% don't have adequate digital skills. And 82% of employees and 62% of HR directors say they believe where their workers will need to upskill and reskill. Uh, but unfortunately, that, that comes from Citrix. But unfortunately, when other surveys I've seen talk about budgeting, the dollars just aren't there. And it's really concerning with the recession coming up uh, that companies may cut back their training and development again. Jason, um, yeah, what do you got to say about that? That is a whole lot of work we've got to do to upskill and reskill folks here in the next few years. And coincidentally, I mean, it sounds like the perfect time for the AQ plus coaching on growth mindset, because obviously to learn anything new, we've got to adopt that growth mindset. Uh, but there's so many factors you've shared over the years, Ira, contributing to this perfect labor storm. I'm excited that we're going to dig in to the skills part today specifically. Um, so just so that we can go in really deep on one specific aspect of it. Quick story from yesterday. On LinkedIn, um, I was able to engage in a really thoughtful dialogue with a friend of the show, Kate Lister, the president of Global Workplace Analytics, and Sandra Panera, director of analytics and insights at Innovation of Relogic. And it ties into what we're talking about with Mike here in just a few minutes. The conversation was centered around how many industries are still paying people for their time instead of just getting the job done. And that productivity and efficiency are often still the gold standards in human capital reporting. But the problem is, this can often lead to a myopic approach to how we handle our skills and our talent inside our organizations. And I gotta tell you, Ira, I used to see this all the time in my prior life when I used to do some work in schools. And you as a parent or anyone else who's dealt with schools, you probably saw it too. Here's what it looked like. Teachers who were really good and adept at handling students who had certain types of challenges or behaviors, guess what? Each year, the principal would often put kids the previous year who were having those types of challenges in that teacher's classroom the next year. Because why? They showed that they were really skilled and really adept at being able to handle those types of challenges. The, the problem with that is it comes at the expense of developing the capacity and the skills of other people on your team. Why should that one teacher be the one who's always getting kids with the certain types of behaviors or challenges? Shouldn't you work at building capacity within the whole team? And I think the lesson of this is that when we do focus too much on productivity and efficiency, when we're looking at skilling, then that means that it's coming at the expense of not building out broader capacity and competency within our talent. And so then that question then becomes, how do we expand beyond just looking at productivity and efficiency and swerve more into measuring things like human capability 
and business sustainability. So I'm really excited for us to dig in on this with Mike um, as our skill expert today to help us unpack this even more. Just a quick reminder for everybody about our SHRM credits. If you're listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, you can now uh, earn SHRM PDC credits, professional development credits, uh, just by listening. So you can earn anywhere between a half to a full credit. Uh, depending on the episode, all you need to do is go up to googleizationnation.com, click on the, on the tab on the menu button that is podcast, and there is a quick form you need to complete there. Uh, upon the completion of that, we will send you your activity code. So very, very easy, and uh, hopefully you'll take advantage of that. Uh, it, while you're there, if you're not subscribed to Googleization Nation, please do so. Uh, we'll get uh, newsletters and updates uh, about past shows, future shows, and a lot of upcoming events that we're going to have. And while you're at it, if you're listening to this on a podcast, please take a minute or two and uh, send us a, leave a, a nice a, a review. Hopefully it's a nice one uh, for us and uh, leave a rating. Sounds like a good time to go ahead and bring Mike onto the show and dig into this topic of how are we going to upskill and reskill our talent? Yeah, a big round of applause, a Googleization welcome for for Mike Kritzman. Hey, Mike. Hi, Ira and Jason. How are you guys? You're doing great. Thank you for joining us today, Mike. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Hey, Mike, you and I have been going back and forth for five years, four years. I don't know. It's yeah, I think that's probably a good number. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic probably uh, disrupted a few things. I was always impressed by what you had. I mean, I, I don't do a lot of, in, in the success performance uh, business, we didn't do a lot of training and development. I, I allowed other people who, who got into that. But um, certainly I've had my, you heard the intro. Uh, you know, when I started this business, that was the that was the niche that we that we created. And I actually created, I had a, a, um, a trademark on a name, it was called Criteria One. And it was helping people develop the criteria to have those number one performers. And I, I built a little brand around that and the name and, um, you know, and still super important. We still need to do that. But it's amazing that companies just wanted a cookie cutter approach to here. Here's our 10 competencies that we got. And we're, we're you know, we're sticking to it. We're, we're going to go down with the ship. And, you know, here we are. You know, 2022, 25 years later, and companies are really struggling. I mean, to, and especially now. I mean, a lot of companies seem to have take pride in, hey, we have a very low turnover. Well, that was great until 30 years later, all the baby boomers left and retired. And it's like, what made them so successful? And, oh, it just must have been their attitude or the generational attitude. And there were skills. It wasn't all only experience and uh, there was certainly a lot of wisdom that they that they developed but uh, there's certainly skill sets and those skills have changed over 30 40 years as well so tell us a little bit about uh skill net how you got into the you know how you got here what, what you guys what you do and and then we're going to really dig in and into what you're doing to help companies identify the skills so people can fast track reskilling and upskilling yeah well thanks uh, that's a, a good setup and a variety of things uh, came to mind. Um, I founded Skillnet uh, after I sold uh, my previous company, and uh, uh, I was aiming at a at, at a uh, problem that, after doing some research, was pretty widespread. Um, 
where uh, managers uh, were using notepads or sometimes spreadsheets to try to keep track of where they felt each individual needed to improve. Uh, when I was in sales management at Oracle and um, uh, moved my way up, um, I found it increasingly difficult as a manager to keep track of all that stuff in a notebook. So I built out a pretty extensive spreadsheet. And then when I'd have one-on-one -on -one meetings with people, I'd go over my notes of what, where did I think they had strengths and, and where did they need to improve? I didn't have an HR background and uh, just quick fast forward. So, uh, you know, since I've uh, had an opportunity in our business to talk to HR executives, some of whom have been around since 20 or 30 years ago, like you were saying, you have to be careful about using the term competency because it does have a little bit of a bad name in the HR circles, I think because it was just provincial. You know, people would write these things up in Word documents and it was unactionable. And, and so, um, you know, there is a, certainly a need for personalized training, personalized upskilling and reskilling for, you know, current requirements of the, and the future of work. But I think we talk about them now as capabilities and competencies, uh, you know, is, is more of an academic, more of an academic concept. But in, in short, our, our business is helping companies create these capability models or what I like to call skill frameworks for different jobs, measuring their staff, determining who needs what kind of training, and then providing them uh, the capability to, to take uh, learning paths that are unique. We like to say one size fits none. And most training and development is courses that everybody takes the same thing, even if they don't need it. And I think that's part of the reason that training's got a little bit of a black eye where companies uh, spend so much time and money and they don't see the results. People are tuning out because they feel like they already know the content. I think there were two things that you said there that, that really struck me. One is that the efforts and the initiatives weren't the problem, they, but they were unactionable. And I, and I think that's, that's a key. There was just no way to, to put those into actions. You know? and it, the other thing was, it, it's interesting. And you know, as much as I agree with you about that, maybe capabilities is a better word than competencies. I, I don't want anybody to say, that's it, that's the problem. Now we got the solution. It's if not we the talk problem. about capabilities or potential instead of competencies. We got it. Unlike we went from personnel to home, human resources to human capital management, it didn't fix the problem. So it, it's a good gaslight. Um, it, it moves things along, and you know, I'm not, I'm not sure competencies or capabilities, you know, or whatever we want to call them, is is the solution. Let's not get hung up in there. Let's let's look at the action and, and not what we call it. Yeah, I agree with you, Aaron. I only brought it up because I think, you know, I'm in full agreement with you that it did have a little bit of a bad name and you just have to be careful about reminding people of things that they did before that didn't work out. And I wonder if the bad name, you know, as I was as I was prepping for this, along with Jason uh, to have this conversation, uh, you know, we, you look back and again, a job analysis, you know, we, they identified the competence or skills or capabilities or whatever, whatever we want to call them, the KSAs. And then, you know, it immediately said, okay, now we can just 
copy and paste that into a job description. And now we'll copy and paste that into a, a performance review. And oftentimes the job analysis started out with because they needed a better annual performance review form. Right. Uh, so the, the whole process needs uh, to be uh, a making. We've, we've referred to reskilling and upskilling. Can you define in your world? And, 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 and again, as we're correcting everybody's um, definitions of these, what how would you describe the difference between upskilling and reskilling yeah that's a good foundational question upskilling is improving in things that you already know where reskilling is taking you down a new avenue uh, learning things that are new to you so um, i think uh, i could go deeper on that but i think that's a, a, a clear yeah. easy answer yeah. So as as you're working with clients, this is your expertise and focus. Yeah. Are are you seeing one is reskilling in demand or is upskilling more in demand? What what are you seeing? Where's the trend? Let me just put that on on the shelf for a quick minute and and share uh, an observation. And I, I certainly uh, have a lot of respect for HR professionals and the hard work that they do. I'm not sure that there's a there's a stand, you know, like a general answer for upskilling or reskilling. I think the, the general answer is to do analysis to try to figure out what's required of the jobs today. And frequently when we're talking to, to clients and prospects, um, they're not, they haven't, they haven't thought deeply about what's tomorrow and what's expected in the future of their workforce. And they don't, uh, frequently have a good handle on the skills and expectations of people in their in their current workforce. And I'll frequently say, uh, let's let's analyze your job descriptions. And we we often hear that the job descriptions are outdated. And so it's hard work. And I'm not trying to to, to minimize the uh, the effort. We we just uh, onboarded a new client and they spent a bunch of time with us in the beginning, updating their job definitions or what we call skill frameworks. And now they've got it automated and it's going to be super easy to sustain and maintain and improve uh, in the years ahead. But it was hard to get caught up with what do they expect of, of their teams today? And uh, in the performance reviews that uh, frequently are more general topics like, is Mike good in group meetings? Is he collaborative? Does he do a good job when he's presenting? You know, things things that are are not very specific about the job. They're just sort of general soft skills kinds of topics. And uh, we help our clients go deeply into the, you know, the, the nitty gritty. The the deeper the better, as far as we're concerned, in terms of what what are the requirements of, uh, you know, someone to be an expert in their job. And uh, frequently, our clients are are not 100% clear on what that what that means without spending some time updating it. And are there specific skills, Mike, that come to the surface where just generally speaking, from what you're seeing or hearing, are there a certain set of skills or competencies that are consistently there near the top that need to be built in where there's just a lack of that, generally speaking, in the talent pools? I, I would probably put the soft skills area up top. 
everyone needs to be better at communication and collaboration and critical thinking and those kinds of things. In fact, we don't even like to call them soft skills. I, I use that term because everybody knows what I'm talking about. I like to think of them as, as foundational skills or professional skills, things that are required for the workforce that everyone needs. And uh, I put those at the top. The rest of it becomes very industry and job specific. You know, an example to that is we've uh, we've we've worked with the IT organization at some Fortune 100 insurance companies, and something like a Java developer, the requirements of being a good Java developer at one insurance company is surprisingly different from the requirements of being a Java developer at a, another insurance company. So how do how do you get to you know burning glass and RSI, uh, you know, have created job standards, but these standards all become very company specific. And so um, I think, you know, like the navigation system in your car, in order to take you to a new place, it's got to figure out where the starting point is. And that's really what I'm trying to talk about is, you know, where's the workforce today? What do we need them to do tomorrow? And then that information will determine whether it's an upskilling path or a reskilling path, but you've got to be able to do the hard work of figuring out, you know, sort of the current state in order to get to the, to the best practices for, for a given role. So Mike, where, I, I guess I, when I hear this, if I'm the, the owner of a, let's say a hundred, 200, 300 person company, I know I need to do this. Um, you know, when I hear hard work, and I and I see that we're struggling to even fill these open positions. What's the what's it look like? I mean, if if you know, hopefully we have some listeners that are intrigued by this. They pick up the phone, they reach out to you. Uh, what could they expect of to to get the ball rolling with this? What what does that look like? Yeah, well, like I mentioned, we we frequently start with job descriptions. Uh, most companies have have job descriptions that they've used for job posts, but um, like I say, sometimes those are not exactly current. And the best practice is to, 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 to spend a little time with the task force or you know, a, a small group of people to, to model the top performers. To say, what's our best people doing? And let's get everybody else to, I'm from Chicago and will always be a fan of Michael Jordan. How do we get everybody to play like Mike? You know, so modeling, modeling the top performers and what are their capabilities is, uh, is our recommendation and it's not that hard you know we're not talking about you know hundreds of skills you know you measure what matters so what are the top 20 or 30 requirements and and breaking it down we actually use spreadsheets to break it down where we've got capability and then the skills for that capability and then a description you know we generally uh, estimate it'll take about a half hour per role to uh, get that updated and current and ready to import into our system but whether they used our system or not, even they were using spreadsheets and the spreadsheets work for this. It's just very difficult to maintain. Um, I think it's a, it's a view that's worth the climb. It's worth the effort to do. And the rewards will be higher engagement and higher retention and better performance, of course, which is the end result of, of most training. When I first started, there were people that had, they made their, their living doing these job analysis and it was like right. three days. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I wanted to get across to you because I, I, again, we knocked it down into you know basically sometimes a phone call. I'd, I'd have a, a meeting with with three or four of the managers, 
and I'd ask them, you know, when this person's sitting across from you a year from now, or you and I are having a conversation a year from now, and this person worked out, what is it that they had to achieve in order to get there? And then what were the skills or behaviors they had to demonstrate to get down that road? And that conversation, you, you said you can take a job description and it, it's not a six month project. It's maybe 30 minutes uh, when there's some focus to it. And that's critically important. And, and then you can, you know, you can really get into to identifying, taking it to the next step. Yeah, one of one of the um, interesting parts parts of our work is helping clients update uh, these uh, the requirements for their job, this, the the skill analysis or skill framework uh, creation, and uh, boy, it's just super useful for people knowing what's expected of them, uh, managers coaching, and most of all, identifying where they need to improve. You know. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of people like strength finders. I think it's a fascinating topic, but I've never heard of a job where you can only do the parts that you're good at. And so there's there there's always uh, parts of, of, of the job where people struggle and nobody wants to struggle. So a little training can go a long way. And I think our approach helps identify what's the areas that each individual needs to work on in order to become a better master of of what's expected of them. You know, the worst is when people go to a performance review and they get down downgraded for things they didn't even know was expected. And boy, that's uh, that's certainly very avoidable. Or, or because there's no money in the coffers. And it's like, you really deserve a five, but you're gonna get a four because if I give you a five, I have to give you a raise. Uh, and I've already given all the allotment out to somebody else. So, but that's a whole other subject. Not much um, we could do about that one, Eric. Yeah. For, for all our listeners, we're talking to Mike Ritzman from uh, CEO of SkillNet. We're talking about how to identify the skills, uh, fascinating and an incredibly important subject. We keep saying that every decade, how important it is to, to do skills, but I think it finally hit home. Um, the, the labor report just came out today and there's, there's fewer job openings, but there's still 4 million job op- more job openings than people. The quit rate went down a whole 0.1%. Um, so it's still 4.2 million people quit their jobs last month, even as the economy was imploding and, and a lot of companies are laying off. Uh, so as we keep saying, this just isn't going away. So it's, it's, it's super critical and, uh, certainly your skill net is there. I mean, the timing's right, uh, to help that we were talking also about what are the most important skills. We're talking about soft, soft skills, uh, for lack of a better word. And we're going to take a quick break and and hear about one of those soft skills, adaptability. Um, but Mike, as, as you talked about, uh, you know, before is that people. What I love about Strength Finders is, I mean, it's easy. People resonate with it; they understand it. But it fits into this growth mindset. It's like, oh, here's what I'm good at, and I'm not good at these other things. So let's focus on what I'm good at. Usually, when people fail, it's the it it's it's the ones at the lower at the bottom of the list that they're occasionally called on to use, then they just don't have that ability and they sort of shuck them. It's like, oh, I'm just not good at math. I'm just not good at programming. I'm not good at details. I'm not good at organizing. So, it's, okay, I get a get, get out of jail free card because I'm not very good at it. And that's not the way life works. Hey, but if, if it's part of your job, you're gonna, you're gonna get punished if you, if you don't do those things. You can't avoid it. 
So we're going to take a quick break. Thank you for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We will be right back in one minute. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny, in this never normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. Hey, Googleization Nation, welcome back to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We're here today with Mike Kritzman from Skillnet. Uh, if you are interested in the AQ Plus mindset, uh, Habit Builder, the coach, our coaching experience, our 30-day program, go to aqplusmindset.com and use code VIP67 and you'll get a nice, very nice special discount. Uh, thank you for listening as our introductory offer. And Mike, welcome back. Mike, got a question for you here. Let's Let's think about the future. So I know we talked a lot about the problems we have today, but we also know we've got to start preparing for the problems of tomorrow how does how do companies and and talent leaders inside organizations how do they start strategically planning for two three four five years down the road in terms of what jobs or skills they think that they're going to need inside the organization if those jobs don't even exist yet is there a way that they can do that that's a tough question uh, jason and i i would say that um you know, the leadership strategy in the competitive market that the company's operating in are going to be very important uh, to help uh, pull the curtain back on what those future skills are going to be. Uh, most companies are struggling with technology. And I think uh, everyone's familiar now with artificial intelligence. I think people are afraid of it because of the Terminator movies, but it really is, uh, it's just a, a data engine. And, uh, and, and the reality is nothing happens without a strategy. And so, you know, many CIOs now are working on a strategy for artificial intelligence, identifying what is it that they, what data do they uh, want to get insight on? And then who are, who, who are the people in the organization that can help guide to that vision? And I think it's the same thing with the workforce where you know what hill are you trying to climb and who, who are the climbers that will help get you there i think a general category that most everyone is familiar with is you know the extreme fast-growing requirements we all have with technology 
younger people grew up with it, so they're quick learners. But knowing how to navigate things as basic as Microsoft Excel or Office 365 or SharePoint or these other uh, basic capabilities are are going to become table stakes uh, for the future. And um, I think it's surprising to me how so many people struggle with basic technology capabilities. So uh, if I were a betting man, I'd say that the stakes for technology, you know, up, upskilling to have a strong technology capability uh, within most departments is, is going to pay dividends. I was going to ask you, is that something, Mike, that the organizations need to be developing their people in? Or is it going to be something where they outsource that and they, you know, tell them, hey, take these online courses somewhere in order to brush up those skills? Where do you see kind of that line of, of upskilling people when it comes to technology specifically? Will that fall more within the organization to provide those offerings? Or will it be more of a, hey, let's go out and find these types of things that can get you up to speed? Yeah, well, it's easy to just sign up for an online course for how to do some off-the-shelf program. Learning how to make them work in your organizational requirements is, uh, is something that's harder to outsource. And you might hire uh, instructional designers to come in. Many of the bigger companies have their own learning and development teams and create their own training content. So I think it's a mixture, Jason, of things they can outsource. You know, LinkedIn Learning has gotten huge uh, and they have courses on all kinds of leadership topics as well as technology topics. Pluralsight is a huge company that does technology training. IT people, uh, you know, can take courses on JavaScript or really any, any technology topic. But how those technologies are applied at the company that's employing them is uh, usually something pretty specific. Hey, Mike, I know we want to be sensitive to your time. I know you have some uh, fatherly duties coming up uh, here. So uh, we, we like to, before we head into the lightning round that uh, Jason will, will, will do, uh, are there, we always like to ask our guests, is there some burning question? Is there some key question that we should have asked, but we didn't? You know, I, I, think, uh, I, I think this notion of a skill inventory uh, is, is so timely, and I'd encourage all listeners to attempt to identify what are the core requirements of their workforce. Think about it departmentally. People in marketing need to know different things than people in accounting and sales than manufacturing. Think about what are those core requirements and try to do an inventory of who's your top performers, where's everybody else. That will, will, will form a, a heat map for what training's required. And uh, while it might not be pretty, it'll get a lot done in terms of setting priorities for how to build the workforce of the future. Awesome, Mike. And with that, we are ready for our lightning round. We're going to get to know you a little bit more on a personal level here before we let you go, Mike. So I promise these will be softball questions. Uh -oh. All right, first one here. Okay. If you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do? Well, I think uh, that that uh, would certainly be a reason for celebration. But uh, I recently went out with some neighbors. We uh, we we went out to dinner with some neighbors, and and the the topic actually came up. What would you do if you if you won the lottery and didn't have to work. And uh, several at the table were lawyers and most everybody would do, you know, like take this job and shove it. They quit their job and, and do something else. I actually love my job. So 
I think I'd find uh, I'd find a lot of peace of mind, maybe pay off our house, put some money away, consider doing a lot of travel. I'd like to uh, uh, to think that I'd, I'd use the money wisely and uh, share it with my family. Uh, things like that's that. great. And I think at my rate with four sons, it basically would just cover undergrad tuition for four kids. <laughs> so <laughs> but I put two through. I, I feel yeah, I, I've right. seen a meet. It might just be food bills. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. All right. Uh, what is something that going back to when you were in school, like high school, what's something that your classmates would be surprised to see about you now, Mike? Yeah, I think that uh, that I'm I'm uh, running a software company. I was looking over some report cards when I was in in grade school, and it's it's fascinating to look at that stuff. And many of the teachers commented that if Mike paid more attention to his work than talking to his neighbors, he'd get better grades. Now, I actually think that that paid off to to help me uh, have a successful career in sales. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not really selling most of the time now. I'm running a company and creating strategy and things like that. And I, I'm not sure that people would have expected that. I love that. And then we got to ask you this when we talked about upskilling and reskilling today, has Mike Kritzman ever upskilled or reskilled throughout your career? Oh, uh, significantly. Um, my background uh, is, is really uh, sales and alliances. And so I've had to learn operations. Uh, I've learned so much about different industries from our customers. Um, I'm a lifelong learning enthusiast, and I hope uh, I hope that carries me through my day. That's great, Mike. Well, we we can't thank you enough for joining us in Googleization Nation today to talk about this really important topic of upskilling and reskilling. But before we let you go, um, how are some ways folks can get in touch with you and learn more about SkillNet? Oh, thanks. I appreciate the exposure. Our company's website is SkillNet.net. SkillNet.net. I've got. Uh, Fairly decent uh, profile on LinkedIn. Be happy to hear uh, from anyone that uh, is interested in doing inventory on their workforce, creating individual personalized learning programs, leveraging certifications. There's so many aspects of creating workforce excellence, and we're happy to talk about that. No strings attached, but uh, we, we do hope that you might be interested in our software. Well, thanks, Mike. It, it's great to, uh, to to reconnect through COVID. We took a little bit of a of a rest there, but hopefully uh, we're we're picking things up, and and uh, hopefully our our conversation here will uh, create some interest. And uh, I know Jason and I look forward to to working with you in the future. This was a great fit, and and a, and a conversation that will will continue. Got a lot of legs. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure. Stay safe. Take care. So much to unpack there, Ira. I mean, in terms of what we need right now, what we needed yesterday, what we needed 20, 30 years ago when you were first talking about the perfect labor storm. Was there anything in particular that Mike shared today that was kind of a aha moment or made some light bulbs go off for you? Yeah, and I'm going to go back to something I said during the show. I, I, I you know, looking at the efforts and and just want to maybe clarify it and maybe a little bit of backtracking that it's not that the job analysis was was bad i mean it's not like oh what a waste of time we did all that job analysis and we rewrote our descriptions and we identified competencies or capabilities or skills and knowledge and you know what re other requirements that were required for the job but they weren't actionable i mean we you went in these sessions and you came out and go the action was we checked off the, the companies checked off the box and they had a new job description 
that was it. And then it went into, well, we're okay. Now we can budget. We can see what what's needed, what type of training. And then it sort of got lost in the ether. So I, I think the, the word that I think what popped out to me was that he provides SkillNet uh, provides a platform for action on all the work that's been done. So it's not that it was wasted. I, I just don't think there was an action step. And for me, it was when he made the statement that one size fits none. Uh, I really like that. And then he gave the example of, okay, you, you need a Java developer. Well, he gave the example of two technology companies that both were looking for a Java developer and the job descriptions for the position were very different. And it just goes to show the nuance of how, you know, you can't just cookie cutter your way through upskilling and reskilling. Yes, there may be some boilerplates or templates that can help you get started for what you probably should be looking for. But ultimately, it's going to be up to leadership uh, within your company of really being able to have the right measurements in place, the right reporting, the right conversations, all of those things that it takes to understand where people are currently and what's needed, not only for the role or description, but what it takes to actually, as you mentioned, Ira, what's the action that has to be done in order to take this person from here to there? Um, that's the piece where we often get tripped up. And the things that Mike shared today and the work they do at SkillNet sounds like it's a great piece right there in the middle that helps bridge that gap, but also provides that nuance of what, even though it might sound like the same position of what it might look like at company A, compared to company B. So that was a big takeaway for me. And I think right at the end, when he when he talked about the inventory of skills, the first thing that came into my mind was rather than an employee count, what if companies focused on the skill count? Okay, right, you have all this information, you have names and addresses and birth dates and social security numbers and employee IDs, and we have all this information about employees. But the one thing that they don't have is the skill inventory. What if we flip that inside out? I'm going to go back to my why. And for our listeners that don't know about that, go up and listen to the episode with Gary Sanchez about the about why, uh, about finding your why. And, you know, mine was contribute, but my second was challenge. And, and I challenge ideas. And then the third was uh, uh, basically integrating, uh, putting the pieces together you know, uh, putting that together. And so it, this fits is what if we flipped it rather than having we, we you I know to pay people, you legally need all this information on your employees. But the one thing that's missing is a skill inventory. What if we had a skill, a skill inventory? And, um, you know, and, and that was that was we had an inventory of that, like you do on all the other parts. You know, people go down and they know how many paper clips and, and post-it notes they've got in their closet, but they don't know the skills of their employees. That is such a great point. And I think that's where we're headed, right? With NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Uh, one of the applications that we think we're going to see of that in Web3 here in the next few years is that there's going to be these records on the blockchain of you as a worker, the things that you helped create, the skills that you have. And that instead of you having to rack your brain the next time you move on to another job and pull together a resume and polish it, you actually are going to have a smart contract record on the blockchain called an NFT 
that will have those things if you want it. And so it's something that'll be transportable, that'll be owned by you, and it'll have those skills listed that you have or might be working on and where you are in the development of those skills. So it's all very fascinating stuff and no doubt a big part of the picture um, in order for us to solve this skills problem we have that's even bigger than the labor problem that we have uh, in this country. So with with all that, we we just want to say thank you, Googleization Nation, uh, for tuning in today. And if you haven't liked or subscribed uh, to the show, we ask you to do so and please drop us a review. But until next time, this is Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. And thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you aren't a member yet, it's free. Please go up to GoogleizationNation.com. While you're there, if you'd like to get SHRM credits, uh, just click on the uh, podcast tab. Uh, and there's a form you can download. Uh, it'll come to us. We'll send you the activity code for whatever episode that you wanted. You can earn a half to a full credit. Uh, and as Jason said, if you're listening on the podcast, please take uh, a minute or so, uh, probably just take seconds or so uh, to leave us a rating. And if you would, leave us a few words about what you liked. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. Mm -hmm.